Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Welcome to another episode of The Warning Woods. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it five stars and writing a review. Reviews help spread the podcast to more listeners. If you want more creepy content, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at The Warning Woods. I'm Miles Thomas Tridel, and this story is called Corrected. The doctors, the nurses, the cops... They all say I'm lucky to be alive. Such a strange phrase, isn't it? Lucky to be alive? What people who say that really mean is, good lord, man, you should be dead. It is lucky for no one, especially me, that I am alive. The last thing I remember was walking to a diner I frequent. I can faintly recall the sound of a raging engine growling much too aggressively for the little street we were on. Next thing I knew, I found myself in a sterile, white room bathed in painfully bright lights, unable to move, and lucky to be alive. My broken jaw is wired shut, so talking is out. Even if I could move my mouth, the pain in my ribs whenever I breathe would probably keep me from being a chatterbox. The neck brace is uncomfortable and has a sort of petroleum smell to it. It also itches from time to time, but with my casted arms pinned to the bed, there's nothing I can do about that. I'm completely at the mercy of nurses and doctors. I'm not used to being the helpless one. The police told me the driver of a Ford Focus had been drunk, speeding, and hopped the curb. After throwing me off the windshield, the car crashed through the diner's plate glass window. Fortunately, no one had been near it, and supposedly I'm the lucky one. Even the driver, the person whose choices were responsible for this mess, walked away without a scratch. I should want to kill him, but I don't. That's a strange feeling. Besides shattering my body, the accident did something to my mind. I'm seeing things, feeling things, that I've never experienced before. It's a terrifying experience to be paralyzed, unable to call for help and seeing ghosts. The first to appear was Miss Ruthie. I woke from a restless sleep to see her sitting in one of the chairs across from me. She seemed so real, so tangible. Her eyes were open but unseeing. Her mouth hung open too. Blood soaked her shirt and pooled on her skirt. Every few seconds, a little more would gush from the smiling gash in her throat. She would twitch, and be still again. She had been an English teacher at my high school. I hadn't thought about her even once since her murder. 
I now remember she'd had a four-year-old son at the time of her death. As I wondered, for the first time, how that poor boy's life had been affected by the brutal death of his mother, I felt a new kind of pain in my chest. It twisted there like a snake, constricting my heart. It might have killed me if a nurse hadn't come in to refresh my IV. In the nurse's presence, Ms. Ruthie vanished, but a shadow of the pain lingered. It's impossible to gauge time in a hospital with its round-the-clock lights and sounds, so I don't know how long passed before my next visitor appeared. This time, I saw Olivia Williams. She died at the tragic age of 19, hanged in her dorm by her own bedsheet. The bruising still showed on her neck along with a hideous lump that made her head stand at a funny angle. Olivia stood over me, staring down with eyes that swirled with... Sadness? Anger? I had never thought much about emotion until now, and trying to judge it from the way someone looks seems impossible. Whatever festered behind Olivia's eyes hurt, though. It hurt her. It reflected unbearable pain. But it also hurt me. It made that snake squeeze a little tighter. Olivia placed a limp hand on my thigh. I felt the coldness of her fingers even through the thick brace around my leg. She slid her fingers up, slowly, teasing me the way she had that night in her dorm. I didn't allow myself to be fooled this time. I squeezed my eyes shut, the muscles around my eyelids seeming to be the only ones I could control. I squeezed them until tears came. Their hotness made me forget Olivia's cold touch for a moment, and then she disappeared. I couldn't help but dwell on Olivia's stolen future after she left me. When I knew her in college, she had been enrolled in the pre-med program. She wanted to be a doctor. Who knows, maybe she would have cured cancer if she had lived. Seeing ghosts would make most people feel insane, but I have never felt more normal. Yes, the apparitions are strange and unnatural, but the way they make me feel, sorrowful, full of regret, is so real, so human, that I almost forget about the spirits themselves. These are emotions I hadn't been able to access until now. A man named Craig appeared next. He had been my roommate once. We were both recent college grads trying to get on our feet and stay afloat in a poor job market with the sinking weight of student loans constantly dragging us down. We bonded over our struggles, but Craig had a manner of coping I did not participate in or approve of. Craig found peace in chemicals. First they came in pills, but it didn't take him long to graduate to the needle. He became lazy and sloppy. He made tiresome messes all over the apartment, which he could never be bothered to clean up. As he appeared to me now, there was nothing visibly wrong. No blood, no bruises, just a slight blue tone under his skin. That's because Craig was killed by a drug overdose. Something he took had been laced with a stronger substance, one that should never be taken in the types of doses he usually shot into his arm. His family came looking and found his stiff, cold body days later. I told the police I hadn't noticed he died because he often laid up in his room for days at a time, high as the Eiffel Tower. That satisfied them. As Craig glared at me from the foot of my hospital bed, I knew such a lie would not abate him now. He had always been careful. He bought from people he trusted. Those people never would have sold him bad product. 
For him to OD, someone must have intentionally laced his supply. Someone with access to his personal belongings and who knew where he hid his stash. Someone like me. As his eyes accused me, I felt guilt over his death for the first time. He had just been trying to get by. He wasn't some street junkie robbing liquor stores for cash. He wasn't hurting anyone, just being a nuisance to his anal retentive roommate. How, his eyes asked, was that enough to justify murder? I don't know. In that moment, it seemed so petty. The snake squeezed so hard I thought my heart would burst the way Craig's had. My paralyzed body shook with guilt, that strange, foreign feeling. I couldn't explain why a disheveled apartment was enough reason to kill any more than I could explain why refusing my advances had been enough to hang a young girl in her own dorm. Those perceived wrongs were no worse than giving an unmotivated student a failing grade in English class. Holding a student accountable was no reason to have your throat slit in the high school parking lot. I know that now, Miss Ruthie. Unlike Ebenezer Scrooge, my spirit visitors didn't leave me alone after I'd learned my lesson. They just kept coming. A mayoral candidate who had had some unsavory ideas. A restaurant manager who had refused to discount my meal when I found it unsatisfactory. A woman who got hired into a position I had applied for. The procession of unjustified murders cycled through my hospital room, leaving me wishing I could move my hand just so I could strangle myself. Empathy. That's what it's called. It's what had been missing my entire life. Somehow my brain had been unable to access it. Whatever was wrong with me, whatever imbalance blocked guilt, shame, regret, and empathy before, is gone now. Somehow it's been corrected. In a crazy twist of fate, being struck from behind and landing on concrete broke my body and repaired my mind. If I were able to speak or write, I might confess to everything right here and now just to make the guilt go away. My thoughts have been corrected, but my actions never can be. The past cannot be altered, only remembered. You can't run from it. It will always haunt you. So now I ask you this. Am I lucky that I'm alive? Are you? You can support The Warning Woods by clicking the Anchor Support link in the description or by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. Of course, the best way to help is by writing a review and following this podcast in Apple Podcasts or subscribing on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.